0: pieces of paper, and I want you to write something down for me. I want you to write down what you think is the biggest sacrifice that you've ever made for Christ. What's the biggest sacrifice that you have ever made for Christ, for God, for your faith? I'll give you a moment to think about that. It's a fairly big question, actually. What's the biggest sacrifice you've ever made for your faith, for Christ? And if while you're doing that or after you've done that, if you want to turn to Acts 20, I think that's 788 in the Pew Bibles. Sorry, Acts 21. Acts chapter 21. The biggest sacrifice you've ever made for God. Since most of you are multitaskers, I'll go ahead and move on. You can probably listen to me and do this at the same time. In Acts chapter 21, we find Paul traveling still. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to get there before Pentecost. He stops again. After having left Asia Minor and traveling down through the Mediterranean Sea, he ends up over north of what we think of today as Israel. He lands at the city of Tyre, which is a well-known biblical place. Spends about seven days there, looks for the disciples, and finds them, and spends some time there in Tyre. It specifically says in verse 4 that the brethren there heard from the Holy Spirit about the travails that Paul was going to endure as he traveled to Jerusalem. Then he leaves from there. There is a beach incident again where Paul calls together disciples who come down and pray with him on the beach. They know, he knows, it's the last time that he'll see them again. And so it's another poignant moment like we talked about last week. He leaves there, he stays in Ptolemaeus for a day. Eventually he moves on to Caesarea. Stays, it ends up with Philip the Evangelist, who is one of those in Acts seven or Acts six who is chosen to do some serving of the Greek speaking widows and distribute food with them. You might remember that. Philip is one of those guys. He also becomes an evangelist, and so Paul stays with him a while. Philip had some daughters who would speak and prophesy about the things that were happening. We don't know exactly what they prophesied about. They may well have just been prophesying about what was going to happen with Paul. We don't know. And then the prophet Agabus comes. And he gives another message from the spirit. And in this case, it's not a good one at all. It's very specific. And he says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to go to Jerusalem And they're going to arrest you. And they're going to bind you. And eventually Paul's life is going to be taken from him. The church tries to dissuade him. Paul, don't go. The spirit's saying this is going to happen. Don't go. We don't want you to go. And then he goes on to Jerusalem. He stays with Nassan as Greg read. And from there, the story continues. We'll get to the rest of the story. But Paul is on his way to be killed eventually for the cause of Christ. Now, I have a couple of interesting questions as we kind of look at this text first. First of all, why all the warnings to the church? If you look at verse 22 of chapter 20, it says that the Holy Spirit was warning Paul about all the things that were going to happen. The church understands this as well. then in twenty one four it says that the Spirit tells the church also and Paul about going to Jerusalem and about all the things that are going on there. Well why is it that the Spirit... In one case, in chapter 20, verse 22, is talking about Paul going to Jerusalem and the travail that he's going to experience. But then the Spirit also talks to the church and says to the, to the church, the Spirit is saying, Paul is going to have this happen. And the church begins to warn Paul against going. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? The Spirit, on the one hand, saying to Paul, go. I need you to go. This is going to happen to you. The church hearing a message about Paul going and being worried about it. And in fact, talking to him about not going. But clearly, I think that something is up here with the church and its attitude, what it's hearing. If someone came to me and said, I've had a prophecy and some terrible thing is going to happen to Judy. Judy. I wouldn't say, well, the Lord's will be done." I guess that's life, Judy. I think I would feel exactly the way these people do. I don't want Paul to have to go. There must be some other way. Paul, stay here. Don't go. So that's interesting. What's going on there? And I'd like to know what exactly is that difference? Between a Paul who can say, I'm ready to go, and a church that tries to dissuade him. They both knew God's will and plan. But Paul is willing to go when they encourage him not to go. Apparently, they're not ready. It looks as though they're not ready. They must not be ready for Paul to go and be killed. They may not be ready for the, what they're going to have to endure themselves. And I guess that makes some sense to me. If I was a member of the church and I knew that Paul was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed for his faith, what might that make me think could happen to me? The same. You bet. The same thing could happen to me, just like the Spirit is predicting is going to happen to Paul. And I would be very apt to say, Paul, don't go. Let's not start this ball rolling. I just assume that you not start down that road because if you go down that road, I may have to go down that road too. So I don't think that they're doubting God's supervision of the situation they know that he's controlling history and so i don't think they're just afraid that maybe this whole thing is going to be out of god's will they know it's god's will the spirit has told them this is god's will i don't think they're just unfaithful it's not that if i went to them and said are you not wanting to do god's will well they wouldn't say Yes, that's correct. We don't really want to do God's will. The reason that we're saying to Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, is because we don't really want to follow after God anyway. But fear might be part of it. One possibility, of course, is that they just love Paul so much. And the idea of him going and being killed for the, his faith is going to bring about in them some sadness. And for the moment, their sadness is so great that they simply fight against that which they know is ultimately necessary. And so a son says, Mom, I've joined the army. There's a war going on in Central Europe, and I'm going to go fight for the cause of freedom. And the mother says, Please don't go. Don't go, son. But somebody's got to go. Ultimately, you and I have either people who've gone before us or people who will go after us who have to make those tough decisions even when we don't want to make them. And so your daughter graduates from high school and she says, Dad, I've decided to become a missionary. I'm going to the Congo. Oh, no, you're not. No daughter of mine's going off to Africa by herself. But somebody's got to go. And so eventually, the mother who doesn't want her son to go, and eventually the father who doesn't want his daughter to go, may well end up relenting because they recognize the greatness of the cause. And so, if the church knows God's Will, if it's been prophesied that Paul has to go to Jerusalem and is going to die, they're going to have to get over their fear. And they do. And so if you look at verse 15 of chapter 21, the statement is so simple. Verse 14. It says at the end, the Lord's will be done. And that's the church deciding that it has to give in to what it was, doesn't want to do. And so there's reluctance, there's hesitancy, there's fear. They don't want this one whom they love to have to go off and experience this but ultimately it's for the cause of Christ and they know it. And so when Paul cannot be dissuaded, it says they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. There's another place I can think of where a man said, your will, but not mine be done at a place of great crisis when someone saw the necessity of following God's will, even though it was hard. And so sometimes what God asks is not easy, and we do tend to fight it. It's it's an easy thing in our lives to just kind of say, I can't do this. I, I hear you, God. Somewhere in the back of my mind there, I know this is what you're asking of me. But it's sometimes easy to put that off, and especially if there's fear involved or there's harm to ourselves and a loved one. Boy, God, you're asking an awful lot here. I may have to make sacrifices for you. and We don't like that very much. Wouldn't it be nice if our faith was just easy as could be? Wouldn't it be nice, just for example, wouldn't it be nice if we could just all give up our jobs and just do nothing but serve Jesus all the time and have all of our needs met and never have to worry about it. Wouldn't that be great? If that was present for all of us? Doesn't work that way. Wouldn't it be great if every time you talked to somebody about Jesus, there was no risk involved? Wouldn't it be great if you, if you knew that nobody would ever think strangely of you or badly of you or laugh at you or persecute you if you were going to talk to them about Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if every time you mentioned Jesus to somebody, they said, you've convinced me I want to be a Christian? Like we'd just be after it. It would be so great. No risk, no vulnerability. But it doesn't work that way. God seems to desire something else of us. Recently, here's what's happened in our church. We've had nothing but a wholesale change in the way in which we do ministry. In the last two or three years, our elders have done some work, some study, some learning, we've spent time and money sending people to Post Falls, Idaho, we've come back with a new plan for ministry, and really it's a wholesale change, a new plan for how we're going to do this, and it's not that easy. They have asked us to become an outreach, discipleship-oriented church with a specific plan for discipling. They have asked us to be part of a life group, all of us, and for us to use life groups as a tool for growth. That's what's happened over the last couple of years. Now I am, I'm absolutely convinced that the elders in asking this of us are right. And that we're headed in the right direction. And we've had numerous people now who've gone and received some training in this area. They come back and they say, every time they come back and say, this is fantastic. We need to do this, but it's not easy. It's hard. It takes from us hard work and sacrifice. It takes commitment to this. But it is not easy for us to give that kind of commitment. It is hard. Change isn't easy. Asking people to do things isn't easy. You know, in the last couple of years, uh, the church where Bob Harrington serves in Nashville, they've been going through the same kind of thing. And Harrington has also gone to Post Falls. And he's been thinking about this for quite some time, about the whole style of ministry that we've, gotten out of uh, our experience with real life ministries and Bobby decided that his whole church was going to have to go through the same thing. This kind of change. So a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was, they began to implement the same kind of things that we've been doing for the last two or three years. And a third of his church left. A third of his church left. Because it was hard because it was a lot to ask. But he was absolutely convinced that that's what the church needed to do. And so change isn't easy. Change was hard. But they said we need to do this. And a third of their people left. Why would a third of the people leave? It's because it's an awful lot to ask. Well, we're not called to give our physical lives. But we are called to give our lives. And as a church, we're in the process of answering the call to give up our lives and to give up our wills for the will of God. And so we're called to give ourselves up for the kingdom. We're called to give our dreams and our aspirations to the kingdom. We're called to give our time and our money and our priorities and our focus and who we are to the kingdom. You give your families to the kingdom. You give yourselves to the kingdom. That seems to be what God is calling us to. To give ourselves to the kingdom. In complete kind of ways. And at this point, we're ready to say, No, don't do it! We want to say to our children, No, don't give yourselves so fully to the task. Don't worry about what, The church is doing build for yourself your own kingdoms. We're tempted to say. But God is calling us to something different. And so what will you do if your daughter comes and says, I want to go to the Congo. And I've got a daughter. That's not hard for me to imagine that question being asked. And I would be ready to say, no, don't go. Except for the call of the kingdom. Which needs to transcend my will so that God's will can be done. And I don't know what the things are in your life that you need to sacrifice. You need to think about that. And I don't know what it is that you've sacrificed. But there may be ways in which God is calling you to give in. There may be ways in which God is calling you to say, not my will, but yours be done. That's the amazing contrast between Paul and the church. I'm ready to go, Paul says. Why are you breaking my heart? So, was it easy for him? Of course not. Why are you breaking my heart? I need to do what God wants me to do. And finally, they can come to the same resolution Your will be done. Now, all of that sounds like a challenge. Oh, I don't know, God, if I'm ready to make these sacrifices for you. But I find it incredibly exciting. Paul held nothing back. Paul was willing to say, I'm going to do this. If it costs me my life, I'm going to do this. If there are sacrifices I have to make, I'm going to do it. There is nothing more important to me than the kingdom of God and its growth. I'm going to do it. And so he did. He held nothing back. What was the conclusion or the result of Paul holding nothing back? Well, churches flourish everywhere. And Christianity grows. And our faith has changed the course of the world. And it's because Jesus said, not my will but yours be done. And it's because Paul said, I'm ready to go. And so what is it? What's the sacrifice that you have to make? that if you hold nothing back and give yourselves completely to what we're trying to get accomplished, can't change the world. Because I think it will. You're the only one who knows. You're the only one who knows what you've given and what you can give. Oh, but God is asking God is asking you to do things, to make sacrifices that maybe you've never made before. And if we do, His will will be accomplished, not our own. And His kingdom will grow, and the world will be changed. Let's pray. Father, we see here incredible sacrifice by Paul. And because he understands your will and what you're doing, he gives himself and the world is changed. But Father, it's not just him. It's all these others who are also fearful. It's all of us who say, no, don't go. We too need to see our will set aside and your will be done. And so, Father, for every person here this morning, I pray that you would bless them with wisdom about the ways in which they need to set their wills aside and have your will done in their lives. And whatever the barriers are, whatever the fears are, whatever the hesitancies are, whatever the addictions are, whatever the attractive things of this world are, help them, Father, to set those things aside. Help me to set them aside in my own life. And for us to do your will, work through us that your kingdom might grow. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen.